Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Preview Review, the exclusive movie trailer review podcast. It's so exclusive that our audience is probably less than 50. You're yeah. one of the if select few. If you're wondering few. what's exclusive about it, it's just the fact that you're one of the only few people that listens to this. You're a true fan. Uh, you've been there since day one. You'll Unless all be, you haven't. You'll all be getting okay. a care package sent to you. Don't make promises we can't keep, Ryan. We don't have the funding nor the time. It's true. If you want a care package, Venmo us at Preview Review on Venmo. <laughs> we don't have a Venmo. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, if somebody else has stole the Preview Review uh, Venmo handle, they're just gonna get a bunch of money this week. And everyone, we're like, not big enough. We're not a big enough podcast for multiple people to listen to us, but we are big enough for our Venmo handle to be like stolen. Like you know how people will make like mm. they'll claim like celebrities yes. or like series like. Handle so that they have to get paid when the new person. Yeah, if wants you don't it. see the blue check mark next to preview review, <laughs> it's, it's not, not us. <laughs> Wait, also, no, we're not very well on anything. <laughs> no! It is us. <laughs> it's us. Also, we're not big enough to have a Patreon, and that's because we don't put enough like time or effort into making bonus content. Sorry, this is what you get. It's all for we free. We barely put enough time, time and effort to make these episodes, as is evidenced by this episode coming out like a month after our last one. I thought it was longer than that. I don't know. At least a month-ish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like the end of March and this is the beginning of May. So, yeah, yeah, you could say a month, give and take some change. Yeah. So, uh, we, we got to get caught up. There's movies coming up right around the corner. It's true. That it's, we gotta it's discuss like summer movie season light. Yeah, it truly feels like we went from, like, not a lot of movies coming out. And there were movies that came out, but, like, not, it wasn't as big of an event to now, like... It seems like all the studios are really pushing, like, our new releases are coming out now, you know what I mean? It's true. And they figured out the balance of, like, streaming slash in theater slash both at the same time, like, kind of situation a little bit more. We both reactivated A-List. We've been to the movie theater multiple times since it's reopened. It's kind of like things are going back to normal. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about this is, like, movies are coming back, but they're, like, spread out, right? Like, that's why we hadn't had an episode in so long. But because they're so spread out... When we go to the theater, no matter what movie we see, we always see, like, the same four or five yeah. trailers. Well, it's like, yeah, there's more time put into marketing, like, these movies that are coming out because the cycle's not as, like, rigorous or, like, happening as fast. So you're going to get our uh, nuanced, marinated takes on these trailers we've seen at least six times, <laughs> except for the Netflix ones. Well, and some <laughs> of these have been, like... We're talking about The Woman in the Widow today, which was, like, having trailers in theaters, like, before COVID happened. Yeah, and now it's not even going to theaters. Yeah, now it's, like, going to wind up on Netflix in a few days. Anyways, yeah, let me explain what else we're talking about. Uh, on today's episode, we'll also be discussing the trailers for Army of the Dead, Spiral, and Cruella. Yes, they're all trailers that exist. We'll tell you about them. We'll break them down. That's this podcast. You're listening to Preview Review. I'm Ryan Too, and he's Tyler Ellison. Oh, we didn't do that part, but That's sure. our intro. But first, our opening question. Uh, as we said, it's been several weeks since our last episode. A lot has happened in the world of movies, most namely the 2021 Academy Awards, or the 2020 Academy Awards. I don't know. It's kind of the same thing, because this year, movies that were actually came out in 2021 were allowed to uh, be nominated. But not um, all movies that came out in no, 2021. No, just till the end of February. But still, it was some 2021 movies, and like several of the movies that were nominated did that. So, you know, it's a it's mixed true. bag. Half of the Best Picture nominees were not even released in 2020. But uh, the whatever, 90-something, I'm sure, like there's always a number to it. Like, I can keep track. It's but... like the third no-host Oscars. Yeah. We can count third, it that way. Yeah. Uh, those happened um, a couple weekends ago, and we're just going to give like our kind of quick thoughts, impressions on... Uh, you know, the awards and the awards show. Ryan and I mm-hmm, watched it mm-hmm. together. Um, it was an interesting time. It was a fun time. Ryan did win in, on the, uh, the, Oscar the score pool. sheet that we did, um, predicting think, the winners of every category. I think Ryan got like, like 13, 13 or 14, yeah. and I think I got like 9 or 10 maybe. It was, it was close. It was close, um, but Ryan did win. Um, I made a few... I made a few um, aspirational guesses. You played with your heart, not your mind. Of course, I should have known Nomadland was just going to win Best Picture. How did but, you not know? At least I put Chloe Zhao for uh, Best Director. That's you know? true. That's a good one. That's a good one. Sometimes it happens where like they award it for like directing, and I really thought it would win cinematography. I was surprised. That was a night. big shock. Uh, but then you know sometimes that happens. But then they like give it to the like 
another film for Best Picture that has, like, a better, like, story or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, the, speaking of Best Picture and stories, the story of the Oscars this year is wild. Best Picture, for the first time in Oscar history, was not the last award given. Yeah, that was really weird. They, like, shuffled everything around at the last second. Um Gave up Best Picture third to last, and then they did Best Actress, and then Best Director. No, Best Actor was last. Oh, Best Actor, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it Yeah, and, and Steven Soderbergh, who produced the Oscars this year, has come out and basically said, like, they did it in hopes that Chadwick would win, and we'd have, like, a big, like, emotional thing at the end. But then, like, Anthony Hopkins win, and they didn't even allow him to zoom in, so there was no one to give a speech, and they were embarrassed, so they just ended the show, and it ended the night on a weirdly awkward... Yeah. tone it was a little awkward that i whether Chadwick was gonna win or not i think they sure left it in its place but it exactly. also makes me wonder like i respect the integrity of it but like y'all can't just give a heads up to like the guy that's literally producing the entire award show like who's gonna win oh. the category so they can like kind of plan for that stuff honestly it I, feels like it makes sense to do that i think me. i like it that this has happened because it proves to me that it's true what they say. Only the accountants know who Yeah, wins. I mean, that makes sense. I don't know. It, it just it, feels like... Yeah, and I guess, like, depending on, like... All, all of a sudden, like, one of the nominees has, like, three more cameras on them than the rest. Then, like, they kind of know, you know? Yeah, and it seems so. a little suspect. Or if, like, you know, someone's zooming in. Like, if they know they lost, why would they zoom in? Yeah, that's true. Well, I don't think you need to tell the nominees. But, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a little weird. But I honestly didn't mind it too much. Uh, I enjoyed the show, actually. The weirdest thing to me was the In Memoriam. Way too oh, fast. It was, was very not cons- weird. It was not consistent, the amount of time each person's name and photo was on the screen. Um, and it wasn't even like, oh, they're going to leave the bigger names on longer, because that's what I expected, you know? And they did that for some folks. But then other folks was like, some ra- and I, you know, I respect all the people working in the film industry, but it's like some random producer or like, you sound know, crew editor. member that was like on there for a long time and then like fred willard was on there for like two seconds and i'm like this is weird like yeah. it's not consistent with like either give everybody the same amount of time or like save your more recognizable names for the end and maybe there are recognizable names within the industry but i think that's something the academy awards needs to balance is like is it industry awards presented for mm-hmm. the industry or are they industry awards presented for the general public and they need to figure out like mm-hmm. how that balances out because also the amount of information and time invested into, like, the discussion of the organization that, like, Brian Cranston gave an award to was, like, awkward for the show, I felt. It's interesting. It's Honestly, cool to learn that that's a thing, but it felt like irrelevant info. I appreciated that part of the show, actually, just because it broke up the, like, sameness that was happening. And it gave, like, a new breath of fresh air into the show, like, when it kind of needed it, when it felt like it was dragging. Yeah, it did. It did feel like they were clipping along through the categories really fast. Um, but I don't know. You can always break it up with, like, more fun things that are, like, more entertaining for a general audience. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, but, like, I kind of had the, the, like, split brain where I was like, this is interesting and cool that I'm learning that this is a thing. But also, like, the general viewer probably doesn't give two shits about oh, this at all. You know no, what I mean? I understand why this was the lowest rated Oscars, like, most least viewed Oscars ever, because, like... People didn't know the movies that were coming out. When you watch the show, it's just like rich people sitting in a like banquet room. They didn't show any clips for like most of the awards. That was one of the biggest complaints I had. Why were there no clips? Especially for performances. I want to see the performances that are nominated. Like Sometimes I don't get to see every performance or every movie that's nominated. Like sh- Give me a little taste, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like They didn't show clips for hardly anything. It was just if it was nominated for like Best Picture or Best Animated Picture. Like If the movie itself was nominated but they didn't even do it for best picture i don't think yeah they did clips oh well i thought it was weird performances would have been nice uh cinematography would have been nice i like it when they do the screenplay and it like puts those screenplay words over the scene you're watching that's cool but you know we seems like we're complaining a lot overall i think the oscars like the people who got the awards deserve the awards and the right choices were made i just think the execution was a little weird and it's to be expected. It's like, this is the first time they've had to do the show like this. Yeah. Overall, I was really happy with the awards. Like, there wasn't really any... There was some, like, surprises. Um, but most of them were pleasant surprises. Um, and nothing that I was like, oh, like, that sucks or whatever. It's you true. Know? I watched almost every... No, I did. I watched every feature film that was nominated for the Oscars. Except for the ones that were on Apple TV or the ones I had to pay extra for. So, I think there were, like, four or five that I didn't watch. But they didn't win. So, it doesn't matter. And... Honestly, the nominees out of the ones I've watched, 
Like, I would have been happy with almost every single one of them winning almost every award they were up for. Except Mank. Mank sucks. Don't watch Mank. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was happy with that, how everything turned out. I was happy that Sound of Metal got more than one award. I was expecting them to only win Best Sound, and then Best Editing came around the corner and took, took the crown. Um, that was kind of cool. Um, I didn't like that because I didn't predict it, so I didn't get the point. Oh, I didn't predict it either, but I was pleasantly surprised. I was all about the points that night, just seeing if I could win. <laughs> Greedy, Oscar gold. You do fever. well every year. You need to put some money on it eventually. I'm sure you can bet on it. Yeah, no, you can like go to FanDuel or whatever those yeah. quickie sites. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Do Who knows? Don't bet real money. Bet some. Bet some crypto. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I can't bet Doge. I sold it all before it went big, like a oh, fool. No, but it's okay. I still made like two cent profit. Well, those are our Oscar quick thoughts. Anything else to add, Ryan? I'm hoping next year's Oscars, they make the same great judgment calls they did this year. Yeah, but back to the Dolby Theater. Exactly. The station was too weird. It was very weird. We can all be maskless at that point. Just have everyone kiss everyone on screen. Yeah. That's the every, Oscars I want. Just every time they get handed a statue, you just... Open mouth open kiss. Open mouth kiss for at least five seconds. No speech, just kiss. <laughs> the speeches were a little long this year. That's, That's another thing. They didn't cut anyone off, which I liked, but also I understand. It also made it run long, even though it felt like they were like literally sprinting through all the awards. Also, too many commercials. We fast-forwarded through them, but, to be expected. but cut them out. Yeah, why can't the Academy Awards be a commercial list? Put it on PBS. There's no commercials on PBS. Yeah, it gets low ratings anyways. Who cares? <laughs> All right, Ryan, let's jump into our first trailer for today's episode. Uh, this is Army of the Dead uh, coming out here in a couple weeks. Well, it's well, got an interesting release strategy. Uh, on May 14th, it's coming out in Cinemark Theaters. Uh, and then a week after that, it'll be on Netflix. So I have a week of being exclusively in Cinemark theaters before you can see it in a Cinemark or watch it at home on Netflix. Yeah. So if you really want to see this on the big screen, find your nearest Cinemark. If not, wait a week and it'll be on Netflix. Yeah. I have no clue where my nearest Cinemark is. So I'm waiting until <laughs> Netflix. Uh, this is directed by Zack Snyder, who we actually discussed on uh, our last episode. Um, he's directed, you know, 300, Watchmen, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman. Um, and it stars Dave Bautista, Ella Pernal, Omari Hardwick, Ana de la Vergara, Theo Rossi, Tig Notaro, and a bunch of other people. It's, it's kind an of ensemble, an ensemble cast, cast, but Dave Bautista's the face of it, really. Um, it's got an interesting premise. It takes place in what seems to be from the trailer, like, a world that is pretty far post-apocalypse. Like, not, this isn't like zombie apocalypse happening at this moment, everything's going wild. This isn't like 28 days later. This mm-hmm. seems like well into apocalypse where like the threat has been somewhat contained but also and there's like an established economy yes like the world has sort of rebuilt a little bit it's more like season 10 walking dead as compared to season one walking Dead. but even i think it's even further past that like it seems like season 20 Walking. i don't know like it, it seems like it's like basically the premise of this movie is it's a heist film that takes place um in a world of a zombie apocalypse um but it's also, like, far enough past the apocalypse happening where, like, somebody incentivizing somebody with money is, like, a meaningful thing. Which, like, normally in apocalypse movies, money is meaningless because it's, like... It's true. The world's collapsed. You just want food, shelter, and, like, survival clothes. Right? Yeah. Like, but at this point, like, there, a world national economy has at least, like, gotten back on its feet to where, like, money is enough of an incentive to, like, go... Risk your and, life. Yeah, risk your life and perform a heist where, like... All the zombies are being kept, it looks like. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, because there's like a... The, are, the zombies have organized too. They've like got... Uh, they're different kinds of zombies than we're used to. They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. Um, so that is a bigger threat. It's more like going against an actual army of the dead. Hence the title. Yeah. Um, but it also looks like... It, this movie takes place in Vegas. They're doing like a heist of a casino vault. Um, and for whatever reason, that money is motivating to these characters. Sure. That reminds me of seeing why, but okay. Um, but also it looks like the, like, for some reason, Vegas has been, like, the holding place of all these zombies. It's because like, it's Sin City, I'm wondering and if, the zombies are of the devil. Well, what I'm wondering is, like, what it looks like is this metropolitan area is, like, you know, uh, what is this, like, surrounded and enforced by, like, the military somehow. Oh, we built the wall, but it was around and it Vegas. Looks like, oh, God, to keep in the zombies. Um... But it looks like 
sort of all the actual civilization exists sort of like on the outskirts. So I'm wondering if it was something where like all the zombies were like outbreaks happened in metropolitan areas and they basically just like shut those down. Oh, And then the rest of the world, like middle America, like all these rural areas could like continue to like be safe. So it's not just like zombies in Vegas. Because why else? I mean, it seems like if you were at a point where money mattered again in Mm -hmm. post-apocalypse, like rebuilding Vegas would be like one of the first priorities. Like people were like... (laughs) Money matters again. Let's go, you know, spend it on. So, if this movie does well, do you think they could, like, go do a heist in New York City where all the zombies live there? I'm just guessing on the world building here, but basically, yeah, it's like they get into, like, the Vegas metropolitan area and it's just, like, swarmed by zombies. Like, this isn't, like, Walking Dead where there's, like, stragglers and then, like, a horde is, like, 20 plus. This is, like, packed Vegas on Spring Break or whatever, and it's, like, the entire strip is just exactly. heads of zombies. <laughs> it must have been very difficult to shoot if they used actual people if they shot this during Corona time. Totally. Uh, well, I, I'm sure some of them will have to be like digital zombies. I think right? what they do too is they'll like get like a group of like whatever 15 to 30 ish like extras and they'll like film them copy paste and then they'll just sort of like duplicate that and like Perfect. You, know, they, you can see that in in like if they are wearing too. like. Uh, makeup and like a zombie like face thing does that count as like a face covering is that a, a covid safe mask yeah like the prosthetics like keep in their actual breath or whatever <laughs> yes i mean who knows we weren't netflix we didn't produce this movie we didn't have to do anything like that we just get to watch it but it looks exciting it's reminding me of i mean i think one of the resident evil movies has like a zombie plotline that happens in like a rundown vegas and then, like, the popular video game Fallout New Vegas is, like, a post-apocalyptic storyline that takes place in the ruins of Vegas. It's a cool setting to, like... Mm-hmm. I think it's just the... Um, the Stand has a post-apocalyptic setting oh, in yeah. Vegas. Well, it's, it's just the dichotomy of, like, what you see of Vegas today, which is, like, very lively, bright lights, music, like... Cirque du Soleil. Just looking at that being, like, desolate and overrun um, and, like, in ruin. Iconic. Yeah, it's, like, kind of a cool visual thing. Um, but not too much here in the trailer in terms of, like, performances and stuff. Dave is a fun action star, um, but I don't... It looks like... There was, like, one shot where it looks like he's, like, got a little bit of emotional, like, breadth oh. in this role. Where I think he's, like, doing something to do with his daughter or family or whatever. It looks like he's having, like, an emotional moment. Which Zack Snyder always tries to, like, humanize his action stars a little bit. But... A little bit, but not too much. Zack Snyder's more concerned with, like, things looking badass, I feel like. And I feel like this movie looks badass. Yeah, totally. It's his second zombie movie, apparently. Have you seen his Day of the Dead or no, Dawn no, of the I Dead haven't. remake? Mm-hmm. I haven't either. I heard it's homophobic. Oh. Um, hopefully this one isn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, this one just has, like, very outright gay Oh, romance. Tig's in it. <laughs> Tig could be <laughs> the star of the like, romance. Straight up, like, uncensored gay yeah. romance in this film. Wow, we love to see that arc in uh, directors. Um, but yeah, Tignataro was uh, I, uh, like brought back in to do reshoots because they had to kick out a you know child molester. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. That's the first time I've seen that happen since All the Money in the World, where they had to get rid of a child molester. <laughs> um, and they brought in Christopher Plummer. May he rest in peace. R.I.P. But uh, Tignataro's still alive, so she can come replace any child molester in any film you want. Tignataro, honestly, just from the two-second shot of her in this trailer, I want her to be in every action movie I've ever seen. She I've looks never so seen badass. her do action. Um, well, she's in Star Trek Discovery, but she's like a scientist, so she doesn't like get to shoot a gun right. or anything. She's like, I have to make sure the chemical formula works. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's cool and all, but this is a different side that yeah. I haven't seen her do before. When I feel like her like dry humor also works for an action star. Like, it just... like. Mm-hmm. Action stars are always, like, they get these one-liners that are kind of sarcastic, and that's, like, what Tig does. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of great. I'm, I'm pretty stoked for this. Yeah, I'm it's Since it's on Netflix, it's a low barrier. Like, I'll definitely check it out. Exactly. Uh, my Netflix bias has been shed because of the pandemic. Yeah. I well, literally watch... see every Oscar-nominated film, you really gotta get deep in the... I mean, like, I could not find my Octopus teacher on Netflix if I was searching for it. And now that it's won an Oscar award, it's like on everyone's homepage. So you had mm-hmm. to like go search that one out. It's true. Netflix, you got so much in there. You just got to sift through it to find the cream. Mm. Mm. Speaking of more potential cream, The Woman in the Window also is coming to Netflix on May 14th. 
Yep. This one's directed by Joe Wright. Uh, he did The Darkest Hour, Anna Karenina, and Atonement. Stars Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Wyatt Russell, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Julianne Moore. Now, this movie was originally made by, uh, I think, like 20th Century Fox or Fox Searchlight. But then Disney bought them, and Disney was going to put out the movie under their new 20th Century logo or the Searchlight logo. And then the pandemic happened, so they sold it to Netflix, and Netflix is finally putting it out. This is like a psychological thriller, and it kind of like in the vein of like uh, Disturbia or Rear Window kind of thing. Amy Adams is agoraphobic, uh, so she's like afraid of germs, and she doesn't want to leave her house, which is very relatable today. Um, and she's kind of losing her mind, which we all can kind of relate to. <laughs> but she makes friends with her neighbor across the street, Julianne Moore, and she looks across the street and she sees her husband Gary Oldman beating Julianne Moore, and like Julianne Moore dies, and she calls the cops, and then. Gary Oldman shows up and he's like, you've never met my wife. This is my wife. And it's Jennifer Jason Lee. And we're like, what? That's not Julianne Moore. And then they're like, Amy Adams, you're on hallucinogenic drugs. You're crazy. And she goes, I'm not crazy. You're gaslighting me. And they're like, no, we're not. You're crazy. And it's one of those kind of stories. I feel like I summed it up pretty well. You summed it up um, great. I have nothing <laughs> to add. Yeah. This is the, is Amy Adams crazy? Or is everyone else lying to her? Exactly. Like, it's her kind of invisible man. Yeah. Oh, that's a perfect uh, summary, I guess. It seems a little less horror. Um, they do some cool stuff because they mention she's might be hallucinating. So, like, There's she like starts to hallucinate car. or they're like, they illustrate hallucinations. But I think she also is, like, trying to figure out, like, if her hallucinations are legit or do they, like, mean something else i don't know mm-hmm. is gary oldman sinister or is amy adams crazy also then all of a sudden like the last 30 seconds of the trailer like she's like there's somebody in my house and oh I'm yeah like, wait what like is gary oldman coming for her or did she hallucinate that <laughs> it seems fun it seems like more like a psychological thriller than like a straight up in your face horror movie which yeah. i'm into but it's cool i'm glad you mentioned disturbia because that's totally the vibe i got from this which was like one of my favorite movies growing up like i really dug that shia labeouf film it's kind of mm-hmm. cool i've only ever seen the trailer for disturbia so it had a good trailer. It's like a cool concept. <laughs> like I love the idea of somebody. It's, it's. I mean, it goes back to like you mentioned Hitchcock's Rewrite. Like somebody witnessing something that the perpetrator doesn't know they've witnessed, and so now, like, how do you? What do you do with that information? Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile with that? It's like but the show. Adds, what would you do? Yeah, but on a much darker scale. <laughs> Amy Adams, what would you do if you saw Gary Oldman murder Julianne Moore? Yeah, I was confused because I was reading the like uh, cast list for this. It said Jennifer Jason Lee and Julianne Moore like were playing the same character, and I was like, "This is wait, what? Is this a typo or like mother daughter named the same thing?" But then it was like they did the whole thing where it's like, which one's really the wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if. Uh, Maybe it's just like Amy Adams uh, is, doesn't have good eyesight and she thinks it looks like Julianne Moore but it's been Jennifer Jason Lee the whole time. Well, that would be pretty funny but then there's a line where like he's like, you've never met my wife and Jennifer Jason Lee's like, hi, nice to meet you. So maybe she thought she saw Jennifer Jason Lee from across the way and she thought it was Julianne Moore and then hallucinated a friendship with Julianne well, Moore. Or maybe uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's like being held captive by Gary Oldman and so like she had snuck out and met the neighbor but oh, and she, she, has, has, to act, she has to act like it's the first time she's meeting her. And because she's on the pill, she's like, are you the same person I met? You kind of look the same, but you don't act the same. Yeah, it's just a case of mistaken identity where it's like somebody looks like somebody else from afar, but they really don't. It's, it's like, like us. Person. Even people yeah, you work with thinks... come up to me and say, hey, Tyler, I'm not Tyler. <laughs> like, come on, people Victor. People either think we're the same person or that we're related Yes, like the guy on the street who said, are you kin? And I'm like, no, we just host a podcast together. Close enough. And he said, ooh, what's the podcast? And we told him, and now he's our most subscribed listener. That's not true. You know, it's it's not because you can't be the most subscribed listener. That's not a thing we can tell. <laughs> most subscribed? What does that even mean? Well, to find out if Amy Adams is the most hallucinogenic or the most uh, sober, what is it called? Lucid person. Check out The Woman in the Window Ooh, think, on Netflix. Do you think this movie will have that Matt Mason song on it? Trippin' on hallucinogenics. Oh, the one from the radio? Yeah. Um, no, I think that song came out after the movie was finished. They could add to the credits or something. That's true. 
There's still time. Imagine if it I feel like it doesn't fit the tone of the film at all. Joe Wright, you, you're, we know you're an avid listener of Preview Review. Quickly add this song to the credits and then uh, put us in the credits as a special thank also, you. Also, like, I mean, I think it looks cool, but the director of this, it feels very weird that the person that did, like, Atonement and he also did, like, the Pride and Prejudice film adaptation is, like, doing this. But I guess this is also a novel adaptation, so it kind of makes sense to also... Mm-hmm. And it makes sense he brought Gary Oldman that he directed From the movie Gary Oldman got an Oscar for. Wow. Maybe he and Gary are just pals now. Wow. Do you think this is an Oscar-worthy film? Um, I doubt it. We'll see. Cause like, if... thrillers, like, can get mm-hmm. nominated and they can win, you know. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs and that um, kind of... Psycho? No, it didn't get nominated, but... but it's really good. I mean, Poltergeist was the first, like, outright horror film to get nominated for an Oscar. But... I don't know. This doesn't feel like it's like that level of prestige, mm-hmm. but I guess we'll have to wait till it comes out and sort of see what the it's response true. is. You know? It's definitely eligible for a previewee. Gary Oldman is an Academy Award winner. Amy Adams, has she been nominated? She's Yeah, for been, like right? uh, American Hustle. Yeah. Um, and it has some other good stars in it too. I mean, Julianne Moore is an Academy Award winner. I think Jennifer Jason Leigh was nominated for something. I think she has too. And other up-and-comers like Brian Henry, Henry, Ryan Hus- uh, Wyatt Russell, Anthony Mackie, um, so it's got like a good cast to it, but I don't know. Maybe it'll get like an adapted screenplay nom or something like that. Mm. Well, we'll have to wait and see come Oscar time. Yeah. Well, speaking of Netflix original films, both Army of the Dead and Woman in the Window are, are going to Netflix. Um, there has been a lot of Netflix original content. Mm. It's and true. some of it's very good and some of it's not so good. And some of it, people have different opinions on. It's true. This is true of every movie. We, I have made no original statement. We that know this. On these Netflix originals movies. However, um, this does lead us into the, the game that we're going to be playing now, which we're calling Netflix Rotten Tomatoes Differential. And here's mm. how this game is played. The good old NRTD. Yes, good old NRTD. Um, basically, I've taken and selected a few Netflix original films that have come out within the past few years. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes provides two scores for every movie. There is the critic score, which is the aggregate of the scores submitted by like professional critics or whatever who like write for approved outlets. Rotten Tomatoes has a whole thing how to figure out who's a legit critic. And then there's the the user or audience score, which is like anybody like you were making a movie and then go to Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes and give our, you know, one to five star review yes. and tell them why we liked or didn't like it they have uh, added a barrier to that though you have to give them some kind of proof that you've seen the movie yeah because people were taking the last jedi without seeing it exactly and making like bot accounts to do that too so there, it, there's more credibility to it now than if we played this game four years ago right but well i don't even know because i think most of these films came out before that was implemented so interesting it's possible but also normally that most that mostly happens like people intentionally tanking or intentionally raising the user score mm-hmm. um happens with like bigger movies than these i think exactly and netflix it does like they're netflix movies yeah um i'll say i think most of these scores seem pretty legit but anyways i have selected six of these films that are netflix originals i've written down both their critic score and their user score or audience score um and i've calculated what the differential is the difference between those two scores I'm going to read the movie to Ryan. He first has to guess if it has a higher critic score or a higher audience score. If he's correct, he will get a point and he can play for a bonus point. However, if he's incorrect, we'll just move on to the next film. In order to earn the bonus point, what he'll have to do is give me a up to 5% range of what he thinks the difference is. So he can say, I think it has you know, a higher audience score. I'll say that's correct. And he'll say, I think it's higher by 5 to 10%. 10 to 15%, 15 to 20%, 20 to 25%, and basically try and guess what the range of the difference between these two scores is. Does that make sense, Ryan? It makes sense to me. Does that make sense to you, listener? Probably not, but we're going to go ahead and play this game. All no, right. The listener just uh, texted me and said it made sense. Oh, great. Perfect. Thanks, listener. Uh, unnamed listener. <laughs> They're listening right now because we haven't posted this yet. They're, list- they're in the they're apartment somewhere. Live. Someone's in my house! Just like Amy <laughs> Alright, Ryan. Here we go. The very first film is Netflix original Bright, which came out in 2017. 
This has a better audience score. This is score. that Will Smith. I, this looks thing. like trash. I've never seen it. it the audience score has got to be higher. The audience score is definitely higher, but how much higher? It's got to be significantly higher, in my opinion. I think it's going to be, um, thirty to thirty-five percent higher. Very close. This actually has a fifty-six percent differential. The critic score is twenty-seven percent. The audience score is eighty-three. I mean, I haven't watched Bright, so I don't That's have an pretty opinion. Intense. But it doesn't look good. It looks like, you know what's a good allegory for racism? Orcs? The critic score being 27% makes me think in no way the audience score should be this high. So exactly. I don't know why it seems like people well, love Well, people but. like Will Smith and people like fantasy. So. Okay. This is one I know is one that like a lot of people say it's bad. And then like there's some people that say it's like really good. So I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't trust your opinion. Have you seen it? No. Look, they're making a break too. Why? Because people watched it. Because it has an 83% audience score. <laughs> well, you didn't get the bonus point, but you did lock down the basic point. So I've got one point. You've got one point, one out, point of six. out of six. One point out of six. And I, my possible score could have been 12 out was of six. was 12. But now it's 11 out of six. Yes. Okay, let's shoot for that 11. All right, let's, keep, let's go for it. Ready? The next Netflix original film is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. This was released in 2018. Yes, I haven't seen the it. The first installment of this franchise. I think the second one's out and the third one's coming. No, the third one came out in January. Oh, they both came out. Yeah, the, the trilogy's complete. But this is just the first one. Okay, Um, I think the audience score is higher. This one actually has a higher critic score. Really? Yeah. I thought there would be like a lot of people who read the book who were like, I really like it. And then the critics would be like, it's fine. That's what I expected too. Surprisingly, this film has a critic score of 96%. Really? It's got a very high critic score um, and a, a decent audience score of 85. Okay. So the differential there is 11%. 85 is about what I was thinking for the audience score, but I thought the critic score was going to be like I thought it was going to be like 60 30. or 70s. Yeah. I thought it was going to be low. I didn't know it was like... But apparently it's a pretty... I mean, that's probably one of the highest rated romantic comedies on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't know Noah so. Centennial was in movies that got fresh ratings. Yeah, me neither. Well, the more you know. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it. So, you missed out on both points there, unfortunately. That's true. I'm, I'm still at one, though. You still got one point. And there's four movies to go. Woo. Next one's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You know, the oh, Coen Brothers The anthology. audience score is definitely lower. I feel like this movie is not accessible to a wide audience. Okay. You're correct. The audience score is lower. How much lower do you think it is? Um, I feel like this movie got like 60s or 70s from critics. So then the audience is probably somewhere in like, I'd say 20 to 15 to 20. That's where I'm going. You're very close. The differential is 12. Ah. So close. This has an 89 critic score and 77 audience score. Oh, Decent so people liked both, it better than I thought but, they did. And it's very close, but uh, yeah. They like that James Franco meme, so they give it yeah, some bonus exactly. points. It's, it's good. I liked it a lot. I like the goat part. Is that no no the chicken? I like the chicken scene. My favorite piece because it's an anthology is the one of the the dude digging for gold. That's I think a good it's one. Done brilliantly. But all right, uh, the next film is 2019's Wine Country. You know the one that was like Amy oh, Poehler getting back together yes. with the gal pals. Um, I think this has a higher audience score because wine moms love to watch themselves. This actually has a higher critic score. Oh, because wine moms don't write reviews. <laughs> Even if they're user reviews. When they get to that third glass of wine by the end of the movie, they're, they're, not, staying, they're not staying up to write a Rotten Tomatoes score. They're not staying up to even finish the movie, but it still counts as a view for Netflix. Um, yeah, this one has a 66 critic score wow. and only a 30 audience score. I didn't expect it to have be points. fresh. It's like barely fresh. I thought it was going to be like in its 40s. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of agree with this Have one. you seen that movie? Yeah, it was enjoyable. But I haven't watched it. It's fine. Um, alright, Ryan, you're going into the only two films left and you've only got two points. Hey, one third is still one third. You can luck, you can luck in the majority. Two more points and then get yeah. four out of six. That's two thirds. That's decent. Okay, I gotta go for it all. And if you get the bonus points, you're just racking it up. Full swing. Okay. If you get the bonus point and the basic point on both of these last two movies, you get six out of six, hundred percent. That's true. That's true. Okay. So okay. Same for that. All right. The next film is The Wrong Missy. This is the David oh, Spade comedy that, that came out bad. last year. 
Um, I think the audience people liked it more because audiences tend to like stupid comedies more than critics. You are correct. It does have a higher audience score. But how much higher is it? Mm, 25 to 30. No. Differential of 17. Oh, slim so pickings. This has been the 15 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, critic score 33, audience score of 50. So oh, even the audience people didn't, didn't like, it, like it but they liked it more. I kept seeing it on Netflix trending page, so even though people didn't like it, they kept watching what it. What I heard was like people were really praising Lauren Lapkus's performance in it. They really liked her role. I like but her. She's the on movie Girls. overall is like not that. Is she on Good Girls now? Yeah, she's uh, an FBI agent in the new season. Oh, I haven't seen the new season, but I really like her. I think she's funny. Mm-hmm. She has a funny episode. I think she's like in one of the comedy shows on like you know where they vote each episode votes to some different comedians. Oh, the comedians. It's like one of those or like another one that's okay. like that. But yeah, she's funny. Cool. Well, you did get the basic point. Okay, so I'm at three, three out of six. Fifty percent, baby. You, you can lock in a four out of six or a five out of six with this final. Let's song. do it. This is 2021's Malcolm and Marie. Oh, black uh, and white. Yeah, John David Washington, Zendaya. This is tough because it doesn't seem like it's accessible to a lot of people, and I know critics were just like met on it. So I don't know which way it's gonna go. I think, I think it has a higher critic score. I'm sorry, Ryan. This has a higher audience score. Ooh, but what? How much? This has a critic score of 57% and an audience score of only 68% for a difference of 11. Mm, I thought it was going to be like that, but like the other way around. The other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I I mean, I don't know. I made the game. I think I would have guessed it has a little higher audience because some people would probably just rate it higher because like, like, they I like, like Zendaya. Zendaya. You know, critics are a little harsher on that kind of shit, but... Yeah, I definitely got heard that this had sort of lukewarm receptions from critics and audiences mm-hmm. alike. So, yeah, I was um, expecting this range, but I think, I don't know, I maybe would have picked the other way too. I've seen it. Um, I like the direction and the acting, but the screenplay is boring. Yeah. Hmm. It would have been a better play. And it, but it's not based on a play, is it? No, it's an original piece of work. And it, but it totally like looks like it's based on a play, yes. like the way that it's done. Also, it's doing that weird Hollywood trope of like, you know, older man, much younger, like girlfriend, which you know, it's just something we accept now. Well, it's just uncomfortable that Hollywood spotlighting stories of that kind of thing, where like that already happens in real life in Hollywood mm-hmm. too much. Exactly, but, you know. We live and we learn. It's true. It's a black and white film, so maybe you think this is out of date and no longer up with the times. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is reflecting poor values. But doesn't it, like, super take place in the modern Yes, day? very okay, much so. Okay. <laughs> also, um, it makes, apparently it makes people want mac and cheese because they eat mac and cheese in it. I saw a lot of tweets that said, after I watched this movie, I wanted to eat mac and cheese. It didn't have that effect <laughs> on me. How are you going to film mac and cheese in black and white? you got to show the golden goodness. It's more like the sounds. Oh, okay. Well, enough Malcolm and Marie talk. I'm sure you're just trying to distract from your disappointment in your score. But 50% is respectable. It's true. And, you know, it was difficult. The bonus points were challenging. The bonus points nailing weren't always that, accessible either. that range was hard. I, I, yes, it was. <laughs> but you did well. Thank you. I'm impressed by You did well as well. You made a good game. Thanks. I had a good time with it. I hope you had a good time too. I hope you had a good time, listener. They texted me and they said they loved it. And you might have a good time in the Oh no, you won't have a good time in theaters watching Spiral ah! from the Book of Saw. It's a scary one. This is coming. What are they doing to release theaters only? Oh yeah, street theaters. It's Lionsgate, so they don't have anywhere to put it out. Oh, that's unless sad. they like put it on PVOD like Barb and Star. Well, it's going to theaters and you know, I'm vaccinated. I'll check it out. Um, just this, this coming week, May 14th. Um, this is directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, who's probably best known for directing, uh, saw two, three and four. Didn't do the first one, but he did the next three in the franchise. And then he left for five, six and I don't know. Yeah, how, he how many saws were there? I think this is the ninth one in the franchise. I've seen none of them. That's interesting. I think I've seen all of them. <laughs> Even Jigsaw? I didn't watch Jigsaw. Yeah, so that's what they did. They did five, they did, he did two, three, four, then there's like five, six, 3D, and Jigsaw, I think is the eighth one in the franchise. Wait, why is 3D number? 
like seven. I it don't should know. be three. Like it's just like the thing where they do where it's like like Piranha three D. It's called three D. That's what we're gonna call it instead of like giving it the other number in the franchise. Ew. I just think that's it because I don't think I remember a Saw Seven, but who knows? I could be wrong. There's a three D one in there somewhere. Okay, but Anyways, this is Saw Nine, aka Spiral from the book. I of think Saw. this is the ninth one because the next one they're putting out is called Saw Ten. So I'm pretty sure this is the ninth one in the franchise. So we're but. going from Jigsaw to Spiral to Saw Ten. The naming conventions of this. The naming convention is weird. However, I have I have a theory about this, but we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, this one stars Chris Rock, Max Minghella, Marissa, Marisol Nichols, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, the premise of this is it takes place already in a universe where like the Jigsaw Killer exists. Uh, all these murders and traps and things happened. Um, and now there's like a copycat killer or somebody that's doing like similar traps to Jigsaw. But instead of the Jigsaw calling card, there's now like a red spiral that they are putting mm-hmm. on like the scenes of their crimes or their victims or whatever. And Chris Rock is the, te- the detective that's tasked with uh, finding this guy, bringing him to justice. But he is facing some strain in doing this because uh, the police department that he works for is like not really cooperating with him. And maybe it's like sort of this thing where it's like it could be anybody that's like on the force too. So he doesn't know. He doesn't want to give up too, inf- too much information, but he also needs all the help he can get to solve this crime. Um, and they're like, heinous gnarly bloody traps like we know from the soft franchise and sam jackson's his dad sam jackson plays his dad who seems like has some connection to the jigsaw killer from his past as a mm-hmm. police officer as well do you think the twist will be that sam jackson's the copycat killer i don't think so no i think sam jackson's gonna be the emotional investment um that will get killed by the spiral killer um and Cause Chris Rock to double down on his uh, quest to bring him to justice. Interesting. I do think that this is one of those movies where Sam Jackson said, okay, you have me for six hours. Yeah, like a day <laughs> of shooting. And then uh, I'm out. So It doesn't I seem like he's going to be in it all that much. But I think they're playing him up because he's Sam Jackson and people are going to go watch a movie because he's yeah. in it. Well, and even Chris Rock, I'm super excited to see Chris Rock in a role like this. And Did you watch uh, Fargo season four? I haven't. But he's very yeah, good. Yeah, I've heard that he's been having fun with some more of these like dramatic, intense thriller mm-hmm. roles. Um, okay, let me back up a little bit. My thoughts on the Saw franchise as a whole. Any of them are like good, fun, dumb horror movies that are just good for like a lot of fake blood and shock factor. But the first few, specifically one and two are actually very clever, very inventive, well-written, full of twists. Um, And they always rely on this convention of, like, there's murders happening, but also the tension of, like, the homicide department or detective or whoever it is that's, like, trying to get them to stop happening. And it always does a sort of back and forth of, like, these killings keep happening, but we don't know who's doing them and sort of, like, plays up that tension between killer and detective. Sort of like the... uh, uh, you know, seven type mm. of situation. Like uh, the little things, but with torture porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the first two are like, are really great and I enjoy them and they have good rewatch value um, because they're very meticulously plotted out to like give the audience all the clues they need to figure out what's going on, but you don't really know until the reveal at the end. Just sort of like any mystery movie like that, the the blend of mystery and horror um, provides good rewatch value, you know, because you're mm. like, not as grossed out when you watch it again because you know when it's true the giant like guts are happening um and you can like be more invested in the story and like unweaving the mystery because you like know where it's going so as the massive saw fan out of the two of us what do you think of spiral does it live up to those first two films or does it seem like it's one of the schlockier ones that come afterwards yeah i'm excited for spiral because it looks like it's gearing towards those the the frame of those earlier films like trying to be more invested in the storyline unraveling the mystery creating the tension for the viewer but not just like let's see how gnarly and gross we can make these traps mm-hmm. um i don't know because they're obviously not going to show us like the gnarly scenes in the trailer so that could be what it's setting itself up for but just in the way of the marketing you know you can kind of tell when they're doing the more like this is an intense like character driven thriller film versus this is fun, campy, like, summer horror. Exactly. Just to come and see a bunch of, like... Blood and yeah, guts. blood and guts. Um, I also think this is part of the naming convention, because if they had called this Saw 9, any movie that's, like, horror title 9, people just expect to be schlock, garbage, 
repetitive it's sequel. True. If you told me not like Friday the Thirteenth Part Nine, like that yeah, sounds like crap. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna like fans of the franchise will watch it, but not like it's not gonna get anybody else that has like given up on the franchise or anybody any new viewers invested. However, getting back to this naming convention, that's like an original thing. But th- I mean, they're still adding from the book of Saw or like mentioning that it's a Saw uh, in the Saw universe to get hardcore fans attached to it. Um, but it does sort of say, hey, we're resetting this thing. And I think that's to signify that they're really trying to focus back onto like what made the original Saw films so good and inventive and creative. Honestly, the marketing is kind of working on me. Like I haven't seen any of these movies and I'm interested in this and I'll probably go see it even though I haven't seen a single Saw film. But like when the Jigsaw trailers came out, like it didn't look good to me and I didn't want to see it and I didn't. Yeah. But yeah. So I, d- I think this is intentional and I'm hoping that it lives up to that expectation. Yeah, I'm excited actually. Like, I have never been excited for a Saw film before, and now I am. So that's cool. Maybe you want to check out some of the other ones. Yeah, I'm going to start with Saw 3D. What I love <laughs> about the original Saws is that in the first Saw, it's almost always, like, one person in a trap at a time. And then the cool thing is, like, the narrative that carries throughout is, like, two guys are in a trap at the same time. Mm. But then when it gets to the second Saw movie, it's, like, this house that's been... All of a sudden, the whole house is, like, trapped, and there's, like whatever five or six people that are all getting like tested at the same time so they're all going through it but they're also so there's like the inner dynamic of like them so it's like a vignettes or no no no. it's like all of them wake up in the same room in this house and they have to figure out like which test is meant for which person oh that's kind of like, fun cra- it's it's really interesting mm-hmm. um but it also like obviously creates this tension because they're like i don't know if you're in this as another victim mm-hmm. or are you in this because you put me here you know what i mean like so- it totally yeah. It adds the, like, interpersonality. The way you're talking about it, it sounds like in the earlier ones, there's also, like, besides the focus on the detective, there's a heavy focus on the people, like, that are the victims. But that doesn't seem like that's a part of this movie uh, well, from the trailers. Well, not so much the earlier... Like, the the first movie, it really focuses on the two dudes that are in the bathroom. You'll see mm-hmm. that that's, like, the main storyline. And then it, like, flashes back to individuals that are, like, getting... Like, to show other killings that the Jigsaw murder like murderer has done. Um, but it doesn't like really get into their backstory. It's more about the people, the the guys in the bathroom, and also the people trying to solve the the mystery. Okay. Um, but then the second one really takes it off into that direction because all the people wake up at the house. It goes into their stories and like their mm-hmm. interactions. But then also one of the guys in the house, his dad is the cop on the outside trying to solve the crime. Oh, okay. So okay. it creates that like emotional connection between mm-hmm. the characters instead of like just letting them be like scream queens that are on second on screen for like five minutes to like get their head sawed off or whatever Hmm, cool well uh speaking of scream queens our next trailer is cruella wow perfect transition is she a scream queen i mean i'm sure she's uh some kind of royalty she's like disney villain royalty yeah sure and i'm sure like little kids when they see her they They scream scream. so she could be a scream queen yes thank you this movie comes out on may 28th um, it's going to come to theaters and to Disney Plus for that $30 premiere access thing. So you can watch it in theaters for the price of a theater ticket, or you can stay home and pay $30 to watch it at home with your family. Whatever you choose, I will be going to the theaters because I'm fully vaccinated and I feel like that's a safe thing for me to do. But you could make the choice for yourself. And if you do the premiere access, do you only get to watch it one time? No, no, no. Uh, premiere access basically like, you have un- it. it unlocks it on Disney Plus for the low, like, However long you have Disney Plus. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. But like, it's however long until they put it on Disney Plus for everybody else. So. Right, but that's like could be a significant amount of time depending. It's on a couple months usually, release, you know. Yeah, like if it's a movie you think your kids are gonna want to watch and rewatch and rewatch mm-hmm. at home, it could be a good investment. Mm-hmm. But this one doesn't really seem like it's gay geared towards uh, children. Um, before I get into the plot, this movie is directed by Craig. Gillespie? Gillespie. Gillespie. Sorry, the screen's far away. Um, He directed I, Tanya and Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, it stars Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Jodie Fry, Paul Walter Hauser, and Mark Strong. Um, And this is like a Cruella de Vil origin story. The villain from 101 Dalmatians. They already made a live-action version, so they have to call it Cruella, and it's a different-looking story. It looks like Emma Stone plays Cruella, and she's a fashion student underneath Emma Thompson, and Emma Thompson's kind of a dick to her, so... She decides to create this persona, maybe? I feel like it's Yeah, it's like the villain origin story. Like, how Uh she kind of went from being a little bit more mild-mannered to being, like, the... The person who steals dogs. Yeah, extravagant villain that she Mm -hmm. is. 
it's a little bit of the like hurt people hurt people moment where it's like mm. she's mean because somebody else was mean to her first yes. you know so it's okay that mm. she dog naps and when this uh movie like when the trailer first came out a whole bunch of people on twitter were dubbing it like lady joker which i don't think is true but i can see why people are making that connection well it's i don't think it's gonna be as dark as joker it's still a disney film and you know yeah they're gonna have tight reins on that property but i'm excited for this because i think craig gillespie is a great director i loved i Tanya. Um, and so I think it's kind of cool that he's like at the helm of this more inventive Disney adaptation. It's not a direct live action remake like we saw with like Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. uh, where it's the same story but done IRL with different actors. It's like take this character but put them, apply them to a new narrative. Yeah. It's um, like uh, inspired by yeah. type piece, um, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. And um, it has a great cast. Uh, there are a lot of cool scenes in the trailer. The one that's like obviously the standout is when. She asks for a match, and she burns away an outer layer of a dress to reveal an even greater dress. Ooh, Katniss Everdeen who? Exactly. Um, it feels like there's more of a like focal point on fashion design, which isn't really something a lot of movies focus on. Um, but because it is fashion design and it's Cruella, it obviously makes my head think of The, the Devil, Devil Wears Prada. Prada. 100%. <laughs> because there's a big title card, and like all it says at that point is just The Devil, and it's like... The next one's going to say, where's Prada? But it doesn't say that. That's just my brain and where it went. Um, like, this trailer is basically like, voiceover Emma Thompson narrating being a dick to Emma Stone. <laughs> like, uh, like Meryl to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Um, so this is the devil where's Prada if Anne Hathaway snapped and decided to steal dogs and burn buildings and recruit criminals like uh, the people Paul Walter Hauser and his buddy play. Um to like steal things so i don't know it looks like a fun time the trailers both of them have like cool like uh soundtracks behind them there's a cool song playing behind it that like gets you in the atmospheric mood of the movie i Mm -hmm. feel like it's like old-timey but like still with like a hint of like danger yeah 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 it's like that sort of like seductive like seductive like uh jazz vocalist exactly um yeah and i think the set design and all that stuff looks really cool too the costumes look great looks looks impressive um it's gonna like if it gets nominated for Oscars, it's gonna be nominated for all like the technical ones. Yeah. So, um, but it looks interesting. It looks cool. I'm excited for Emma Stone in this role. I'm excited for uh, Emma Stone and Emma Thompson to be like on screen together. They're both like great actresses, but I don't think I've ever seen them work together. Yeah. So that's gonna be kind of fun. And it'll be confusing because they're both in Emma. It's true. Like Emma did a great job. Or do you think on set? Do you think on set Craig Gillespie had nicknames for them? No, I think Emma he calls Emma them. Miss Stone and Ms. Thompson. Like, you know when you see in the credits, it's like yeah, assistant, assistant to Miss Thompson. Yeah. Yes, that's how they have to refer to him on set. Okay, I love it. It's true. If you talk about Emma on set, they assume you're talking about I'm the 2020 <laughs> Emma adaptation. I love it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful for this one. I feel like it could either be really good or really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that it turns out good. I think Disney's had more success with films that are like inspired by a property but tell a different story instead of, like, a direct remake. Yeah. So I'm glad that that's what this, this is. This is more Maleficent than it is Even though Cinderella. Glenn Close, 101 Dalmatians, is, like, a fun movie in my mind. I only remember 102 <laughs> Dalmatians. Really? Yes, I think it's because we had that one on DVD when I was growing up. Mm. So, like, you know, when you're a kid and you rewatch a movie a whole bunch of times, that's what happened. That's the one where she has been reformed, but then something happens and she, like, gets triggered and turns back into evil wow. Cruella. And there's a dog in it that doesn't have spots. And I remember watching the behind the scenes and they're like, we use computers to take out the spots. Wow. Because it was the early 2000s. Yeah. We're like, That's something <laughs> That's you can impressive. do. And there was a parrot. But when they just cast a white dog. No, it was a, it was a Dalmatian. It like because a Dalmatian, at the end of the movie, it grows its spots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... Hopefully, by the end of this episode, you all have grown your spots. Yes. Take that to mean whatever you want it to mean, because it's time to move on. We're playing a new game. Well, it's an old game. It's an old game, but we're playing it again, uh, because uh, once again, we have a film on this podcast that stars two people that have the same first name. What's up with that? Emma Stone, Emma Thompson. I'm going to get confused. Um, And like we said, I don't know if they've ever been in another movie together. Um... But it's cool that they're working together now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this game is the same name, Actors Game. Um, we played this a, a few episodes ago where we take two actors who share the same first name 
and we try and connect them through their other film roles. So it kind of works like that party game that you can play where it's like this person was in this movie with this other person who was in this other movie with this other person, and you try and connect an actor to another actor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who's really good at this is a uh, avid listener, Matt Wilson. Oh, yes. He is very good at this game. Um, so we're going to be trying to do the same thing. Uh, the parameters here, there's, uh, what do we have? Five pairings of correct five actors with the same first name. Um, the parameters are that we can only use films, no television roles or other work. No, like straight to DVD stuff. And only acting performances. This includes voice acting, but it doesn't include if they were like a writer or a producer or a director or other. Anything else. Um, and the affiliation film. to the role. Best boy, grip. Yeah. I don't know how many of them would have been, but maybe they are. How funny would that be if like just other random movies you're like, wait, oh. wait a sec, Tom Cruise was the grip on this film? Like just some random giant movie star just like in the crew room. I mean, you got to get started somewhere. That's true. All but those... what, do you have to go back? That was the question. Backwards? You mean like once you become yeah, a like star? Yeah, like Timothy Chalamet is like a star now. And but... then like five years from now, you watch a movie and he was like the best boy. It's like, that's weird. Hmm. Maybe he's just trying to learn the industry. So he can become a really good director. He knows what a best boy has to do uh, now. Yeah. Well, you, you do see that transition after the director. And mm-hmm. just like producer and screenwriter maybe. But screenwriter maybe less to, so. But maybe not so much to like prop master. Ooh. <laughs> if you're listening, Timothy Chalamet, I want to see you as... Master those props. The prop master. Okay. Our first pair of actors that we're going to be connecting is Molly Shannon and Molly Ringwald. So um, the way this works is uh, basically I'll say Molly Shannon was in this movie with this person and that'll count as one connection. Yeah, so every like film to person is is a single move. Correct. So basically it's like the number of different pieces of content uh, that you have to go through yes. to get to that other person. Okay. So um, Ryan well, and I have each, before we start recording, created our... Um, outlines of how to get from one actor to the other. We will read them. We'll first we'll tell each other how many moves we can do it in, um, and then we'll read our our outlines out loud. Um, so first, I have Molly Shannon to Molly Ringwald in four moves. Can right. you beat four moves? I can. I've actually done it in three moves. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you my four moves first because it'd be more exciting to see how you beat me. Yes, let's do it. Okay. So uh, Molly Shannon is in Superstar with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is an Anchorman with Steve Carell. Steve Carell is in Horton Hears a Who with Joey King, and Joey King is in The Kissing Booth with Molly Ringwald. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I forgot she was in those movies. Molly Ringwald? I haven't seen a single one, and I learned that she's the mom today. Great. Well, I'm sad, but I have you beat. Don't be sad. Be glad. You beat me. Well, but like, I gotta be my best friend. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll be happy when I beat you. Uh, so you don't have to feel bad now. Molly Shannon is in Wet Hot American Summer mm-hmm. with Amy Poehler. That's true. Amy Poehler also shares the screen in the film Mean Girls with Lacey Chabert. She plays Gretchen Wieners. Oh, okay. And Lacey Chabert is one of the stars of the film Not Another Teen Movie, which parodies a bunch of 80s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. classic comedy films in which Molly Ringwald does have a cameo. Ah. Uh. Wow, that was good. Uh, I would have never thought to go to not another teen movie ever. So, <laughs> good job. Breakout role for Chris Evans. I know. Now he's Captain America. Not well, anymore. He was. We have a new Captain America now. And I love it. All right. Well, that was good. That was close. Three and four. It's true. That's it's respectable. True. Okay. Well done. What's our next matchup, Tyler? Our next matchup is two Nicks. Nicholas Holt to Nicholas Cage. Okay. I was able to do this. In just two moves. So was I. I think we have the same You have the thing. same ones? Let's see. My first move is Nicholas Holt was in X-Men Days of Future Past. Oh no, this is different. With Evan Peters. I didn't go and this Evan way. Peters is in the film Kick-Ass, which stars Nicholas Holt. Oh Cage. yeah, he is. I went, Nicholas Holt is in The Favorite, which stars Emma Stone. And Emma Stone is a voice actor in The Croods with Nicholas oh, Cage. Oh, yeah, that's right. Bringing The Croods back. I think yes. he used that last time The as Croods well. is a well... Finding a good, like, ensemble voice cast for a an random animated film is very helpful. It's key. And it comes back on my list in a, a little bit. Okay. Uh, our next matchup is James Franco to James Marsden. Um, I was actually able to do this in two moves as well. 
Oh, I have to go three moves on this one. Okay, so let's hear your three, and then I'll demolish that. Great. My three moves for this is that James Franco was obviously in The Disaster Artist with Paul Shear. Paul Shear shares, shares the screen with Will Ferrell in the film Daddy's Home. And, of course, Will Ferrell stars in Anchorman 2 with James Marsden. I was trying to get to Anchorman 2 for so long until I found out that James Franco is in the interview with Ben Schwartz. And Ben Schwartz is Sonic the Hedgehog. He does voice And Sonic James Marsden is in I Sonic the Hedgehog. I forgot Ben Schwartz was in the interview. He is. Interesting. Well done. All right, so that's one point for you and two points for me, I believe. Well, no, it's one, one, and then we tied once. Oh, we both did two points, uh, two moves for Nicholas Holt Cage, huh? Yes. And they were both legit flows. So, yes. Yeah. So we have so one, one, two to one. Two. No, one, or, one. Or do we each get a point for the two point? No, no one gets the point for the tied. Oh, okay. It's All one right. to one. Great. I love it. That one was a wash. Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage. Just be on screen together so we can do it in one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our next matchup is two Mayas. We've got Maya Hawk and Maya Rudolph. Mm. Maya Hawk is a up and coming star. Daughter she's of Ethan Hawk. Daughter of Ethan Hawk, and she's on Stranger Things, but we can't use that because that's a television mm-hmm. show. So we've had to go off her limited film roles. She's only I, been in four I movies. I only knew one, so that was my jumping off point. Same. And I was able to do this in three moves. Oh, it took me four. So right, I'm interested go ahead to see how you flow. did it, but here's how I did it. Maya Hawk is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is in The Big Short with Steve Carell. Steve Carell is in Anchorman 2, which Tina Fey cameos in. And Tina Fey is in Wine Country Take with Maya pick. Rudolph. With Maya Rudolph, yeah. Exactly. Great. That's good. But I did beat you, you by do just it? one move. Maya Hawk is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another star of that film. He's only in it for a bit, but he's a significant role. Timothy Oliphant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant shares the screen with Jason Sudeikis in the film Mother's Day. One of those oh, ensemble one of those, cast. Like Gary rom-com. Marshall. Gary Mar- it is directed by Gary Marshall. Um, and Jason Sudeikis obviously is the voice of Red in Angry Birds 2, which also features the voice talents of Maya Rudolph. Wow. Angry Birds. Those animated films with like the like <laughs> spread out celebrity cast. I, when I saw Maya Rudolph was in Angry Birds 2, I was like, this is going to help so much because you can take <laughs> your pick of all kinds of different people that are in that movie. That's true. That's why I was trying to get to Anchorman 2 because so many people cameo That's that true. Movie. That's true too. But it took me an extra step to get there, which screwed me. All right. Our final matchup of the night. A... Wait, quick score recap. Oh, yes. Uh, two, two to one. one. And one tie. One tie. So you can tie it up here, and then it'll be a true tie. And then we can high-five and remain best friends. But if you beat me, I'll have to leave <laughs> the podcast. The podcast is over. <laughs> Not really. We'll still be best friends. Okay, so our fifth matchup is Carrie Mulligan and Carrie Elwes. So we're going uh, different genders this time, but they still have the same first name, so we can still And yeah, they them. spell it differently, but who cares? So does Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage. That's true. We didn't have an issue there. Didn't matter then. Doesn't matter now. Exactly. So um, this one was tough for me. I was able to do it in five moves. Ooh, it only took me three moves. Wow. Congratulations. That's really good. This one was tough for me. So here's how I did it. Carrie Mulligan is in The Dig with Lily James. The Dig is a Netflix movie uh-huh. that came out in November, uh-huh. or January. Lily James stars in the Netflix movie Rebecca with Army Hammer. Okay. Army Hammer is in The Social Network with Jesse Eisenberg. Uh-huh. Jesse Eisenberg is in Zombieland with Abigail Breslin, and Abigail Breslin is in New Year's Eve, one well, of those Gary Marshall hey, movies. Hey, Gary Marshall! With Carrie Elwes. Wow. Several moves. Um, I had to go with the obvious route, and that was getting to Elwes through Princess Bride somehow. I didn't and know I if I could ever do, do it. this, because Carrie Mulligan co-stars with Ryan Gosling in the movie Drive. Yes. And Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling... Also is the star of Blade Runner 2049. Yes. And guess who else is in that movie? Robin Wright, Princess Buttercup herself, who co-stars with Carrie Elwes in Princess Bride. That's cool. I think you might have been able to do it faster if, you know, um, who was your second guy, the hunk? What's his name? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. If he was in like a Gary Marshall film, you could have had it in two. (laughs) With Elwes, though? 
You I just, don't know if they've ever been in the same Gary Marshall. You just gotta movie. get him into one of those Gary Marshall ensemble Exactly, or pieces. a voice cast piece. Although, Carrie Ellis, I don't think has done as much voiceover work. No. But, but it helps. It helps as a connector piece. Just do often. it, Carrie. We need it. We need yeah, it. Yeah, Carrie Ellis, go be in, like, I don't know. Angry Despicable Birds Me 4. 5. Despicable Me 5. They don't do... <laughs> Despicable Me franchise is over. It's all about minions now. I, I, thought, I think the fourth one's coming out, I thought. No. Fourth... The next... Uh, minions Rise of Gru. It's Minions They're 2. They're connecting. Well, Gru was in the first one, so they've always been connected. Mm, but okay. but Gru was more like a you know a cameo post credit scene setup for the sequel kind of. Yeah, idea. I see, I see, I see. Okay. It was more about Sandra Bullock in that one. Well, thanks for playing, Ryan. I think that you, was a fun time. You beat me. I love that game. But it it's was always fun. fun. It's always fun to connect people through like, their work of art, their worst roles. It's <laughs> true. Some random in New Year's Eve, in uh, Mother's Day, Boys Cast, the Croods. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Ryan, before we sign off, you have to let me know what was your favorite trailer we talked about today and which movie that we talked about today are you most excited to see? I think... Hmm. I think my favorite trailer... Ah, this is tough. Um, I think my favorite trailer actually was um, The Woman in the Window just because it gave me so much of what the story was and it is an interesting premise. But I think the movie I'm most excited to see is Cruella, just because I want to know what's going to happen. Hmm, interesting. I would say that the the trailer I enjoyed the most is Cruella. I really liked mm. what it does to sort of set up um, and sort of promise you more than what you might expect in this movie. I, I think it's interesting, um, and it seems like a, a fun take on this story. But... It does not excite me as much as the trailer for Spiral. That is the movie I'm most excited to see because I would love it if they reinvigorated this franchise with a little more originality and creativity. And I think bringing Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson into it is a good way to do that. Cool. Well, that means uh, Cruella is the big winner of the night. Two yes. points. And one in each category, too. Wow. Best trailer and most, ex- most anticipated film. Wow. Congratulations, Cruella. May you live up to the hype. Um, I have been Ryan Toon. And I've been Tyler Olson. And this has been Preview Review. Preview. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Preview Review. And we'll be back eventually with another episode for your ear holes. If you want to sponsor us, let us know. Good night. Bye. (laughs)